0: The future is going to be insane. And one of the most thrilling pop culture parts of that future is self-driving cars. But that's not the only answer to all our transportation problems. Public transit, the responsibility of big companies, and big city policy will affect how, where, and when we move around. Hey everyone, I'm Adriel Lubarsky. And I'm Danny Abrams. And welcome back to episode three of RTP Stories, Smart Cities and the Future of Transportation. Danny, good news, it's finally happening. You mean it, really? Yeah, buddy. Let's talk about autonomous cars. Oh boy, oh boy. This is a complicated topic in a number of ways, and there's a lot of places we could start. First, let's go back. Last episode, we talked a bit about smart cities and connected vehicles. Autonomous cars are gonna take all that information that connected vehicles are learning and turn it into maximally actionable knowledge. They'll be able to process the overloads of data in ways no human driver ever can. Every megabyte information, ranging from the destinations of other drivers, to the conditions of our cars, like flat tires and cars that might run out of energy on the highway ahead of you and cause a traffic jam, to weather changes. Everything gets processed and understood and, most importantly, acted upon. Then there are some
1: interesting changes to solve our current biggest problems like the solution of the huge issues associated with parking that we've mentioned a couple of times. Imagine the following scenario. You've got to go to the grocery store, your neighbor wants to go to the movies, and someone four blocks away needs to make a post office run. All of these destinations are within two miles of each other. Today that would require three cars going in basically the same direction, parking in garages and sitting there. Just as the sitting there part of the trip is a big problem.
0: Multiple studies have found that cars are sitting parked for 95% of their lifetime. It's a very costly statistic. It's costly when it's in your home garage, as you pay a ton for taxes and rent for every square foot of space. It costs the city money to have parking spaces instead of something more useful. And it costs the car owner money. A report by the Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that about two of the eight hours of an average workday are spent paying off that car that you took to work.
1: In our futuristic world, once this autonomous car picks everyone up, instead of parking and sitting and just taking up space, you can go get somebody groceries or drive your kid to soccer practice, or maybe serve as a transportation for a medical emergency that took place closer to its location than to any ambulance.
0: So, that sounds really good, especially in the suburbs or smaller cities. But what about in the biggest cities in America, where about 80% of Americans live? I first assumed that self driving cars would be awesome here in New York, LA, Chicago. Cars adapted to life in the city that are smaller, more eco friendly, safer. It sounds perfect.
1: Spiros Masados, an executive at Queen's Medallion Leasing, one of the largest New York City taxi operators, recognizes the amount of difficulty in introducing self-driving cars to major cities. He explains how hard it is to drive in a big city.
2: It's near impossible for even a human driver to make a right turn onto or off of any major avenue in New York City, to the point where, for every light change, you basically have one car that can squeeze through uh, at the end of a light. at the end of a green light that can actually make a right turn with pedestrian traffic. That's going to be a key problem where uh, self-driving cars are going to have to adapt in highly congested metropolitan areas like New York City.
0: As excited as I was, these are admittedly things I would never personally even considered. While cars may be smarter than us, humans have one big advantage. We can adapt to the environment. Humans can think about each obstacle as it happens, Autonomous cars need every obstacle to be a pre ridden algorithm.
1: But, for all the difficulties, Spiros is pretty high on what self-driving cars can achieve, and he thinks human drivers will have a big role to play. In my eyes, the only way to safely transition from a driver-run
2: for-hired vehicle economy to an automated for-hired vehicle economy is to have professional full-time drivers, like the ones that we have on the yellow cab sector, start to teach software platforms how to navigate in areas like New York City, how they can actually move and maneuver in these highly trafficked areas. And so having full-time professional drivers actually teach machine learning algorithms how to move about a city, where demand is, how to get from point to point in the most efficient way, that to me is the transition that we need.
0: So, in Spiros' own words, Self-driving cars are a big opportunity anywhere. They'll just take some time and some thoughtful implementation.
1: And this tasty challenge inspires a lot of companies to get into the autonomous vehicle game. Famously, we've all heard of what Tesla is doing, and that Google has self-driving cars navigating San Francisco. But they're not alone.
0: That's right. In 2015, Uber paid $800 million for a self-driving truck company called Otto, a technology that could make one of the more dangerous jobs in America totally driverless. Ford recently fired their CEO because he wasn't moving into autonomous fast enough, General Motors made a $500 million investment into Lyft's self-driving division. And here's Tesla CEO Elon Musk with his bold prediction.
2: Essentially November or December of this year, we should be able to go from, yeah,
1: all the way from a parking lot in California to a parking lot in New York. No controls touched at any point during the entire journey. Wow, I cannot believe we got world-famous
0: technologist and genius Elon Musk on our little podcast. Uh, listeners, full disclosure, it's just a YouTube clip from the 2017 Tech conference, but don't tell Danny. It'll break his little heart. Regardless, autonomous vehicles are coming very, very quickly. Players new and old realize that these self-driving cars are going to be an enormous part of making roads safer, better, and more enjoyable. I'll let Jim Trogdon, Secretary of the North Carolina Department of Transportation, explain what a big impact it might have on our lives. Here he is, talking about self-driving cars.
3: So, for example, uh, right now, if you own a passenger vehicle, uh, you probably use it 5% of the time. The other 95%, it sits in a parking space, whether it's at your office uh, or at your home. Uh, in the in the new opportunity that's arising, uh, you may not need to own a vehicle you can order your transportation from your phone door to door at half the cost uh, if you ride by yourself uh, of what it costs you today because the vehicle utilization will now go from 5% to 95%.
0: Secretary Trogdon is kind of on a roll, so let's let him round this out.
3: Most downtown areas, um, their their land use is one-third of it is dedicated to parking, so will this Ninety-five percent vehicle utilization uh, really decreased the need for parking, uh, and most transportation professionals believe that's true, which then could provide one-third of urban areas, uh, you know, up to one-third available for redevelopment. That's a significant uh, impact both on the environment, on emissions, travel costs, uh, and quality of
0: life. Whether we're talking about parking or safety, or how a city is structured, where two, three. Hashtag, Hashtag team Autonomous. Team autonomous. Uh, <laughs> that was take number 15. We just can't get it.
1: Okay, let's just move on. And one of the biggest benefits of autonomous cars is one that has the least to do with their immediate functionality, benefits to the environment. And environmental benefits are, it can be argued, what the future of transportation is really all about.
0: That's right, today in Delhi, India, million children have irreversible lung damage because of poor air quality. In the U.S., about 30 percent of greenhouse gas emissions can be directly related to transportation.
1: Automobile-related urban sprawl, like space dedicated to roads and gas stations, is space taken away from natural habitat. Noise pollutions, excess materials, fossil fuels, hitting deer with your car, there are a million environmental issues of modern transportation.
0: What do we need to be thinking about when talking about transportation in the future? Well, Professor Nagi Rafael from the Institute of Transportation Research and Education has a pretty good idea.
3: Make life easier for pets and bikes. Create more opportunity to, to travel with alternative modes. Build the city. So in, in my mind, any one of these and all of these strategies. And to some extent, even automated vehicle. I mean, automated vehicle will be designed in such a way to try to reduce fuel use down the road. And maybe they won't be using any fossil fuel. It could be some, some other form, solar or what have you.
0: And to do this, to get ourselves off of fossil fuels, like Professor Raphael thinks we need to, many people argue that the future of transportation is actually much of what we had in the past, long before cars came to dominate the scene. Creating ways to get around without any energy output at all is what a lot of groups are working on.
1: Ooh, can I take this part?
0: <laughs> sure Danny, go for it. Thanks.
1: I love bikes. So it makes me so happy to see that cities and private companies are both investing a lot of money in the bike share programs. Can any city be a good city for bike share? I think I'm going to say yes to that because um, bike share is so flexible and, and no bike share system looks quite the same and the technologies are, are all a little bit different in some ways that um, bike share can be really flexible. That's Trung Wu the head of the Raleigh Bike Sharing Initiative. He's high on the feasibility of bike share, and for good reason. New York City Bike Bike Share Program saw 62,000 rides in one day in 2016. That's insane. That's so big that even Ford, one of the oldest car companies in America, is getting into the bike share game. Last year, the famous Blue Oval Car Company created a bike share program of its own. The value to a car company of having bikes available in a smart city? You guessed it, data. We found a quote from Jim Hackett, CEO of Ford's Smart Mobility Movement. We couldn't get Jim on the line, so here's the next best thing. Today I have the honor of playing Jim, and it's a role that I feel can really define my young career as a quote reader. I will say that I've never heard the man speak, and that this voice is purely baseless conjecture. What we're doing differently in San Francisco that isn't being done in New York is we put telemetry on that bike. Telemetry is a form of communication, so now the bike is pinging data to us. Listen, here's the deal. The opportunity is not bikes. That's not why Ford's in it. The opportunity is data, and the data is super valuable because it tells us these invisible paths that people are taking in this complex city in terms of how they want to get around. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. But data is the real star of this show.
0: Ah, data. The driver of all, uh, drivers. Well, public transportation is becoming all the rage as well. At a conference on transportation in Riga, Latvia, The former mayor of Bogota, Colombia, Enrique Penalosa, laid it out in a short sentence. A developed country is not a place where the poor have cars, it's where the rich ride public transportation. I love that quote.
1: Me too. And it seems like the U.S. agrees. The American Public Transportation Association reported that public transportation use in the United States in 2013 rose to 10.7 billion trips, the highest number in 57 years. Cities like Atlanta, Charlotte, Cincinnati, Dallas, Detroit to name a few are all undertaking streetcar projects expected to attract tourists, help work commuters, and bring locals to shopping destinations they otherwise wouldn't
0: go to. And public transportation can actually serve its biggest clientele during commuting times. Private companies are buying passes for their employees to ride buses, supporting efforts like vanpooling, and really beginning to understand how important it is to employee happiness and productivity to get to work safely, quickly and with minimal stress.
1: Private companies with fleets of cars on the road are key players in the future of transportation. We spoke to Mary Sell at Triangle J, a North Carolina transportation think tank, and she told us about UPS's creative efforts to have more environmentally friendly transit.
3: They have a trike that they use over in Europe, uh, you know, a, a human-powered trike, <laughs> to get through some um, towns that have a ordinance where you um, aren't able to bring trucks through because I think air quality has gotten so so
1: bad. Mary's colleague Andrea Eilers agrees, pointing out UPS's innovative efforts around transportation.
3: I think UPS really prides itself on kind of being a rolling laboratory of sorts for the alternative fuels. They do um, have almost every size of vehicle and are in kind of every climate and region of the United States. So they can really test out these fuels in different conditions, different vehicles, and see in the real world applications.
1: Big Data has another role to play here. UPS has 102,000 trucks drive 160 miles every single day. Imagine if each of those drove just one fewer miles per day. That would be over 30 million fewer miles driven every year. To accomplish some of that, they even implement crazy seeming policies like no left turns. Really, you'll never see a UPS truck turn left. Just about the only thing that UPS trucks and Derek Zoolander have in common.
2: I'm not an ambi-turner,
1: it's a problem I had since I was a baby, I can't turn left.
0: (laughs) Nice Danny, always a good time for a Zoolander quote. And by putting 200 sensors on each vehicle, UPS can track information like idle time, engine health, and turn radius. Making micro improvements, saving inches of every turn, off a macro scale make crazy big changes, like 1.5 million fewer gallons of fuel used in 2013 than the year before, or about 400 million miles eliminated since 2001. Now that's futuristic.
1: Everything begs the question, what is our goal in transportation in the future? Is it to be environmentally friendly, to be faster and more efficient, to all live in the same building where we
0: work and go to the movies and buy groceries? Or do we even have a goal? Perhaps it's just understanding. Maybe we're just trying to learn how to survive another century on this fine planet Earth. And if learning is the goal, if we're looking for ways to constantly improve and iterate, we need to be thinking about how all the tools we have relate to one another. How, where, when I drive my car directly impacts past the bus routes, which should be all plugged into streetlights and local laws, which should tell my car, or my bus, or my bike, when and how fast to move, which should all make my life better. So, what is the goal of transportation of the future in the smart city? Professor Rafael says it's about getting off fossil fuels. Joe Malazzo says it's about improving quality of life. Elon Musk focuses on autonomy in the environment. Jim Trogdon says it's about getting more information and making movement faster. And Haidt CEO, J.B. Atkins, thinks it's about empowering people who love to fly. Whatever it is, the future is going to be an interesting place to travel. Thank you to everyone who made this series possible. The theme music was written and recorded by Matt Phillips, Dylan Turner, and Danny Abrams at Sleepy Cat Studios. That's right. The interlude jam you heard was provided by Russell Davis. This podcast was produced by the venerable Danny Abrams. My name is Adriel Lubarsky. Thanks for listening, and safe travels.